are listening to Privacy Files, the podcast that makes privacy approachable for businesses and consumers alike. This episode is brought to you by Anonymy Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app. And Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating privacy solutions into their software. Welcome to episode number 14 of Privacy Files. I'm Rich. And I'm Sarah. In our last episode, Sarah and I celebrated Valentine's Day by unpacking the complicated culture of online dating and sharing some tips for staying private and secure while looking for love. We were joined in studio by Sarah's brother, who shared his own personal dating insights. It was eye-opening to say the least. Today, we're cracking open a case file on the topic of social engineering attacks. From phishing and baiting to pretexting and honey traps, there are many techniques employed by scammers to manipulate you into divulging confidential information. We'll explain some of the most common attacks and arm you with the knowledge necessary to avoid becoming a victim. And Sarah, what a time to have an article come out about this. It sounds like Reddit had a social engineering attack, particularly it was a phishing attack. Yeah, perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. So according to the company, they were, tar- they were the target of a sophisticated and highly targeted phishing attack. Reddit user passwords and accounts they say are safe, but the hackers gain access to some internal documents, code, and uh, other internal business systems. Uh, The hacker, uh, whoever they were, they say managed to trick a Reddit employee into clicking on a, what they claim is a plausible sounding prompt that forwarded them to a website that then cloned the behavior of Reddit's intranet gateway. So in an attempt to steal credentials and second factor tokens, now after the hacker nabbed the user's login credentials, they used them then to access some internal docs code as well as some internal dashboards and business systems as reddit puts it so i'm sure at some point there was some kind of misrepresentation of who this person was or what this the purpose was of this uh, interaction and so again falls right under that whole uh, realm of phishing attacks now also it sounds like reddit had a similar incident about five years ago i wonder if they learned (laughs) doesn't sound new employees Exactly. They're not aware yet. And then uh, finally, the the quote from Reddit representative was, uh, we're continuing to investigate and monitor the situation closely and working with our employees to fortify our security skills, which I guess is part of the culture really of security, right? There's a, there's a whole element of culture. Uh, And also it concludes by saying, as we all know, the human is often the weakest part of the security chain, which makes sense, right? It does. And I think one thing we'll, touch on later in this episode is what to do if you come across a phishing attack at work. And it does sound like the affected employee, he self-reported and the security team responded quickly, removing the infiltrator's access and commencing an internal investigation pretty quickly. So this is exactly what you're supposed to do is quickly report it to your security team. So hopefully this guy gets to keep his job. So other employees don't fear for self-reporting and lose their job. Just, you know, they're, they're high profiles. But it does sound like when I was reading through it, the comment section was pretty positive, people with how they were responding to how Reddit responded to the situation. So before we jump into our case file for today, I always like to kind of bring those 
privacy holiday is around and let people know what's going on. So February 23rd is Digital Learning Day. So I think we can dive into education, the education topic more around back to school at the end of summer. I think that'll be a good thing for us to talk about. But Digital Learning Day is an initiative to engage students and empower educators through the effective use of digital tools. There's so many great uses for my pseudo as an educator, of a, as a parent of a student or as a student. Um, so, so much of education is online and it's important to know how to navigate it safely. So I will always talk about my pseudo's blog. It has several articles to get into for that back to school time. But February 23rd is Digital Learning Day. So I just wanted to bring that up. Sarah, what got me interested in doing an episode on this topic it was back in September of last year. It was a pretty high profile incident with Uber that led to a pretty significant data breach. And it was under that whole umbrella of social engineering attacks. And it was done by a teen. That's the other thing that's interesting. We always hear that. Right? They're learning younger and younger. They spend a lot of time, I guess, uh, home alone. Too much free time. So yeah, this attacker gained access to, to Uber's internal IT systems their email dashboard, their Slack server. And I, if I remember correctly, uh, there were some interesting messages. They were really having fun with it, sending Slack messages. And people were replying thinking it was just a joke. Like somebody was just playing around with Slack, acting like they had hacked into the system. And the employees were literally actually talking to the hacker. So they, they also gained access to some endpoints, the Windows domain, and then Amazon Web Services console. Now, Uber believes, according to their investigation, that the attacker purchased a contractor's Uber password on the dark web, which that should be another topic, uh, probably another episode, the whole dark web, and sent a string of multi-factor authentication requests to the user to trick them into accepting it. Then they used elevated permissions to access tools, including G Suite and Slack. And we heard from several experts in this security space about there's some cautions around two-factor authentication and just being careful about, are you using a code through SMS texting or are you using a code through your email or are you using an actual 2FA app? The data breach sheds light on the effectiveness of social engineering techniques and suggests that enterprises should reevaluate reliance on multi-factor authentication to secure their employees' online accounts. Now, just to keep in mind, it doesn't matter how good a company's defenses are, if they're relying on passwords to secure online accounts, it only takes one employee to share their login credentials for a breach to take place. In other words, social engineering attacks are all about hacking people, not technology. Yeah, that sort of goes back to that Reddit article where they were saying a human is the often the weakest part of the security breach. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's so much easier to try to manipulate a human and yeah. how fallible they can be as opposed to trying to figure out how to crack into some sophisticated defense system. Most definitely. So Sarah, that means it's time to open up a case file on social engineering attacks. So I'm always sort of that bridge to definitions and, you know, trying to educate people. So what is social engineering? So Rich, you know, I had a bit of a struggle prepping for this episode because there's actually two definitions of social engineering and I was sort of getting caught up in the one we aren't focusing on today. When you do a basic search, you'll get a societal definition as well as one in the context of information security. So the societal term of social engineering is defined as the use of centralized planning in an attempt to manage social change and regulate the future development and behavior of society. So that's the one I was heading towards. But 
Today, in the context of information security, social engineering is the use of deception to psychologically manipulate individuals into performing actions, divulging confidential or personal information. It's a sort of confidence trick for the purpose of information gathering, fraud, or system access. So I got my degree in psychology and my mind <laughs> automatically goes towards thinking companies and services are manipulating people. So I started going down the path of that societal definition, but I think both are important actually to understand and sort of look into because they can be intertwined. But what we're focusing on here today is the definition of the social engineering in the context of information security. I think we could do a whole other episode we could. later about companies and services using social engineering and manipulation to change our online and offline behaviors though. So to reiterate that definition for today's episode, social engineering is a broad range of malicious activities accomplished through human interactions. It uses psychological manipulation to trick users into making security mistakes or giving away sensitive information. So I wanted to clear that up for listeners since it had me pulled in two different directions while trying to get my thoughts together. So that's where we are today. Human behavior is fascinating. Yes, it is. All right, Sarah, to build some foundation on this uh, space, on top of the definition that you just uh, cited, let's talk about some key social engineering stats. And this comes from an article called, the name of it is Hashed Out, and it's by the SSL Store. And they talk about 12 social engineering statistics that will make you question everything. And so they're going to start off with the first one. Social engineering ranks number one as the top attack type in 2022. Uh, makes sense because you know, these systems are getting more complicated. So you'd really have to know your stuff yeah. in that in that space if you could just flat out just hack into something. Yeah, like we said, it's easier to hack people. Yeah. Number two, the price tag of the average social engineering related breach is $4.1 million. Yikes. So that's, I guess that's, what, if you're teaching security culture in your company, it's probably a good idea to underscore that, you know, if you make a bad move, it's a couple million dollars, <laughs> maybe we're, we're probably hurts. not going to send you a bill for that, but yeah, you're probably going to get fired. The and the third one, a social engineering based data breaches took 270 days to identify and contain. Yikes. That's a long time. And so let's see how they set it up. So their 2022 report, it showed that these data breaches, those with social engineering as the initial attack vector we're taking approximately nine months. The way they broke it down to identify the breaches took about 201 days on average. And then to contain them took another 69 on average, 69 days to finally contain that. So that's that's a significant amount of time, especially the first 201 days when you don't even know there's something going on and there's just they're in there playing around in your system. Makes you kind of wonder what kind of security systems you've got set up if you can't tell an outsider's and they're playing around. Exactly. The fourth one they list is 82% of data breaches involve the human element, as we mentioned. And that's an easy one because it's whenever you have human beings involved, I mean, everybody's got different personalities. Human behavior is very uh, highly variable. The fifth one is 90% of cyber attacks are targeting your employees instead of your tech. Again, makes, makes a lot of sense. And I think that one of the common themes to these attacks too is your contractors to be very careful I think sometimes companies might get a little lax with their security procedures when it's just somebody who's working part time. You're not fully on the payroll. And so maybe you don't think that that person presents um, kind of a vulnerability to the systems that yeah, you have. I, think I agree. 
And the sixth one, 47% of social engineering related security incidents resulted in data disclosures. Verizon reported that in the 2,249 reported incidents they analyzed involving social engineering, almost half resulted in being disclosed. So that number constitutes almost half of the incidents that they say they analyzed. And what sorts of data are we talking about? They, they mention everything from personally identifiable information, that's 24%, to login credentials, which was 63%. Number seven, organizations face 700 plus social engineering attacks annually. 700. That's a lot. You've got to be ready. If you've got, you've got to amp that security up if that's, it's that common. I mean, I know personally I get text messages all the time oh, from yeah. phony credit institutions, whatever. Yeah. It's like we as individuals are hit from all the emails, the text messages, and it's like companies are being hit even harder than that. And I think a common one too I hear with a lot of people is in your company, somebody will send you a message saying, uh, your boss or somebody said to go to the store and get a few Amex gift cards or something, <laughs> right? And just uh, transfer that information. I wish my boss would tell me that. I definitely would know that was a scam. <laughs> Number eight, nearly 33% of crimes reported involved phishing, vishing, smishing, or farming. Those are all interesting. I am excited to learn about some of those. I haven't heard of those. <laughs> we'll get into those too in a little bit. Uh, it says phishing has long been considered the most common form of social engineering and plays a role in many data breaches and other cyber crimes globally. The IC3 reported receiving on average 552,000 complaints per year uh, between 2016 and 2021. And the <laughs> a whopping price tag of $18.7 billion. My goodness. Number nine, reported BEC and EAC incidents result in nearly $2.4 billion in adjusted losses. There were 20 thousand or nearly 20,000 complaints of business email compromises, that's BEC, and email account compromises, that's EAC, with a total price tag of nearly $2.4 billion. It's just insane amounts of money. Number 10, phishing kits that bad guys use, that can use to carry out social engineering costs as little as $10. So it's available to everyone. That's, it's so cheap. So they even call it phishing as a service. And, and I've heard, um, yeah, some of these uh, call centers in uh, other countries, they, they're like regular 40-hour-a-week jobs. Right. People, do they have they have holiday parties, they have cubicles. And, and this is what they do. But their goal <laughs> is to scam people. And so, yeah, so they call it phishing as a service, and it has been gaining interest over the last decade because they say it makes it easier for non-technical bad guys to do bad things, of course. So they say two of the most popular phishing as a service options identified are phishing kits and open source phishing frameworks. Now, phishing kits tend to cost anywhere from $10 to potentially hundreds of dollars, and they're prepackaged do-it-yourself kits that can be deployed to carry out phishing attacks with little effort. The second one is open source phishing frameworks, and they say, as the name would imply, are free, but they do tend to take more organization and coordination. So it's like not only are they cheap and they know they're probably going to get more money out of it, but it's actually really frustrating to hear that this is just some pretty packaged cheap thing for anyone to buy. It's so frustrating because I think as we get hit with this stuff all the time, so it's annoying to see how cheap it is and that's why they're doing it. I just can't imagine. It's cheap and it's easy. They just sit behind a computer. I'm glad I didn't choose a career in security. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> well, you'd be busy. <laughs> 
Number 11, personal data of 5 million employees and passengers exposed in a single ransomware attack. In November last year, Air Asia discovered that it was the target of a ransomware attack that resulted in the theft of sensitive data relating to 5 million employees and customers. This included employees' personally identifiable information, or PII, and customers' booking information. Yikes. And to round this out, number 12, cyber criminals steal $3.1 million from victims by tricking healthcare payment processors. In September of last year, that's 2022, the FBI released an advisory warning of reports that cyber criminals were targeting healthcare payment processors with the goal of redirecting victims' payments to accounts controlled by the bad guys. According to the report, quote, in each of these reports, unknown cyber criminals used employees publicly available personally identifiable information, which of course is PII, and social engineering techniques to impersonate victims and obtain access to files, healthcare portals, payment information, and websites. And in one particular case, the attacker changed victims' direct deposit information to a bank account controlled by the attacker, redirecting $3.1 million from victims' payments. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. To say their their goal is to redirect your payments to an account that they control. I find it it's very uncommon that I'm paying my co-pays in the office anymore. More often I'm getting sort of an email later on saying, okay, we've processed it. You know, their billing takes forever. So I'll get an email later on saying, okay, everything's been processed. Here's what you owe. Go to this portal and pay. So that's kind of intense. You really have to be aware of your emails then. If you're expecting a bill from a hospital or wherever you've been, you really need to make sure you're checking who it's coming from. Check that sender's email address as well. In the URL of these websites, you can see where it says HTTPS. Usually that means it's nice and secure, you know, but I would just, if you have any questions, call your hospital and just double check like, hey, I'm just making sure I'm paying the right portal. You guys sent me this email. That's intense that they're just redirecting your payments. I mean, just think about how many transactions you have in a given month right. personally. Yeah. It's there's you so just many sort opportunities, of trust, right? We, yeah. we pay everything is online now. Hardly am I paying bills. Nobody pays bills by checks anymore. You know, it's like nothing's in person. Everything's online. So you need to really be careful about where you're making your payments and and I especially worry about these peer to peer payments too, like Venmo or right. Zelle. Because mm-hmm. that's if somebody if somebody cracks into that and there's no AI that figures out there's something fishy going on, you just lose all your money. Yeah. I mean it's, it's gone. linked to your bank. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a credit card where you just go tell your credit card company or your bank that yeah. hey, it was it was you know, it was hacked and you're going to be reimbursed. I mean, that's gets messy real quick. And speaking of protecting your personal information, I think it's a good time to take a break to hear this message from our sponsor. Are you tired of big tech spying on you? My pseudo is the world's only all in one app that gives you back control of your privacy. By creating digital profiles or pseudos, you can compartmentalize your online activities by setting up a unique phone number, email address, and handle for things like shopping, accessing free content, and using dating apps. This breaks the data trail linking back to your personal info, thus reducing your digital exhaust. Each pseudo also includes a private web browser with ad tracker blocker. Want to stop companies from sharing data related to your transactions and spending habits? Set up a MySudo virtual card and bring peace of mind that your transactions are secure and private. To learn more, visit MySudo.com. That's MySudo.com. Stay private. Okay, so before we jump into the types of social engineering attacks, I wanted to go a bit more behind the scenes on the techniques that these cyber criminals are utilizing for the attacks. 
There's an American professor of psychology and marketing. His name's Robert Cialdini, who has come up with the six principles of influence. I think he's even added a seventh since he established these principles, but they've been coined the weapons of influence in the context of sales and marketing, but they are equally applicable to a security context where cyber attackers are frequently using them as well. Robert Cialdini's six principles can be used by an individual or a group who wants to influence the behavior of others. And they're sort of this foundation or base for how cyber criminals use social engineering against people. So I'll go through those real quick. So the first one is the reciprocity principle. People feel obligated to pay back what they have received from others. So hackers, for example, commonly seek to exploit the principle of reciprocity through the practice of reject and retreat tactics. The fraudster will open a conversation by asking for something extreme. And when the target says no, he or she will retreat to the second more reasonable request by compromising. And the target will feel compelled to reciprocate by giving in to the fraudster's second more tolerable request. The second one is called the commitment and consistency principle. So people tend to stick with whatever they've already chosen is basically what it is. So um, and these next ones. So those those first two, I feel like I don't see as often. But these next ones are sort of what we see used by cyber cyber criminals for social engineering attacks more often. So the, the first one is the social proof principle. People tend to have more trust in things that are endorsed by people that they trust. People will do things that they see other people doing. Um, number four on his list is called the liking principle. People are more likely to comply with requests and are more easily manipulated made by people they like. So those two sort of go hand in hand. His fifth one is called the authority principle. People follow others who appear to know what they're doing. In social engineering, the attacker may pose as authority to increase the likelihood of adherence from the victim. And his sixth one is called the scarcity principle. People are always drawn to things that are perceived to be exclusive. Perceived scarcity will generate demand. The common advertising phrase, while supplies last, capitalizes on a sense of scarcity. So now I have two more that we've found um, that have been added for these social engineering tactics. One is called, it's just urgency. So this is linked to scarcity. Attackers use urgency as a time-based psychological principle of social engineering. For example, saying offers are only available for a limited time only. It encourages sales through a sense of urgency. And the last one is intimidation. The attacker who's, you know, potentially disguised informs or implies that there will be negative consequences if certain actions are not performed. Consequences could include, you know, subtle intimidation phrases such as I'll tell your manager to, you know, much worse. So cyber criminals are using these social engineering tactics to get you to give up your login credentials or maybe click on a link to a website that auto installs ransomware onto your device. Uh, your device, which is an example. So organizations can substantially also improve how they address the human aspect of cybersecurity by utilizing the tactics of their cyber antagonists to change behaviors and reduce risks. Now, I think, Rich, you were telling me before we got on here about sort of this intimidation and urgency story that you had when you lived in Florida. Yes, that is true. I was probably 2000. 19, somewhere probably right before the uh, COVID thing started. And I received a phone call from somebody who was probably in a call center. We'll we'll leave it at that. (laughs) And represented himself as being 
with the IRS in the Texas office, wherever that is. I don't know if it's Austin or, or wherever, and said that my social security number had been suspended or discontinued, which I didn't even know that was a thing, <laughs> especially as a U.S. citizen, right? Born yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, and he said, well, look, here's what you have to do. You're going to have to follow all of these instructions or I'm going to issue a warrant for your arrest. Jeez. And he started screaming at me, right? So now he's trying to not only telling me he's an authority figure because he works at the IRS and because he has this power to suspend my social security number and issue a warrant for my arrest, but now he's trying to present himself as this authority figure by screaming at me and threatening me. Yeah, I probably would have just hung up. But I think something, and it's a topic we've talked about wanting to cover um, in an upcoming episode is just sort of how like the older generation, they're sort of left behind in a sense. And I think this goes along with they are more susceptible to these types of scams because I feel like they get those scams a lot and they're they're too scared. They don't know that this is a scam. And so they're more willing to give up probably personal information just to like make it go away and make things right. Yeah, they're definitely targeted. And you know, also too, uh, this is not quite a... Um, I guess a kind of a technology security issue, but when you were talking about liking, mm-hmm. I, I I went back in my mind 20 plus years. I remember living in Texas and, you know, not, not all that wise to these things at that point, but I was smart enough to know that there was something not right here. I was probably in my mid twenties and I was at a dealership looking at Toyota four runners, just dreaming about <laughs> having this beautiful overland vehicle. And the, that dealership did not have the exact Toyota 4Runner that I wanted in the lot. And the person I was talking to, this, the sales guy, um, said, oh, well, we can get that ideal one over here for you to test drive. All you need to do is sign this little piece of paper. And I was like, hmm, okay, that sounds really interesting. You can't, just to, just to transfer a vehicle from one dealership to the next, I need to sign this piece of paper. And so I started reading it and it's like, oh, well, you agree to pay for the, you know, the, the full price MSRP, blah, 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 blah. And then what he did was, because I was pushing back, he walked me over to his office and he started showing me pictures of his family. What? And he's like, gosh, I just, I just want to go home and be with my family. And he's and like, he's, this was yeah. over the top, right? Yeah, that's excessive. And then I, you know, the whole radar wet red flag went up and I said, yeah, you are dishonest. Yeah. You're like, oh, door, I'm, your picture of little Joey is going to sway me. Let me just sign this over. But that's exactly what would happen online, too. It's yeah. the same thing. They, they talk about their plight, their their problems. And then they, that's how they come after you for money, saying, oh, I'm just you know, I'm having hard times, whatever the sob story is. Yeah. We're all going through hard times. You should help me. <laughs> Sarah, let's go into the 10 types of social engineering attacks. Number one, probably the most common one we hear about is phishing. And what this basically entails is usually somebody is using a spoofed email address and then they link to something to trick people into providing their login credentials, credit card numbers, other types of PII. Yeah, I think this is the one I see the most. Like I'll get emails that even have logos of places I visit or places I'm interested in. And it's like, it does look pretty legit. So you've got to be careful. Wow. Yeah. And so they list, there's two types of phishing. One is angler phishing. I, lo- I love the play on oh, words here. Interesting. <laughs> Using spoofed customer service accounts on social media. And then the second one is spear phishing, phishing attacks that target specific organizations or individuals. The second type of social engineering attack is called whaling. <laughs> I love these names. I should have been a sailor because this doesn't make sense. <laughs> It says, it says whaling is another common variation of phishing that specifically targets top level business executives and the heads of government agencies. 
Whaling attacks usually spoof the email addresses of other high-ranking people in the company or agency and contain urgent messaging about a fake emergency or time-sensitive opportunity. And successful whaling attacks can expose a lot of confidential sensitive information due to the high level network access these executives and directors have. Okay. So whaling, because they're bigger. These are the big guys. The big whales. You've got the fish. That's yeah. me. Yep. Okay. That's why I don't Get creative here. Don't flash your cash ever. <laughs> Number three is diversion theft. And it says in an old school diversion theft scheme, the thief persuades a delivery driver or courier to travel to the wrong location or hand off a parcel to someone other than the intended recipient. This sounds spy-like. Yeah. In an online diversion theft scheme, a thief steals sensitive data by tricking the victim into sending it to or sharing it with the wrong person. The thief often accomplishes this by spoofing the email address of someone in the victim's company an auditing firm or a financial institution, for example. Wow. Interesting. And keeping with this whole phishing type <laughs> theme, we've got baiting, baiting, right? Baiting is a type of social engineering attack that lures victims into providing sensitive information or credentials by promising something of value for free. For example, the victim receives an email that promises a free gift card if they click a link to take a survey. I've seen those before. Oh, yeah. The link might redirect them to a spoofed Office 365 login page that captures their email address and password and sends them to a malicious actor. Any of these ringing a bell? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm smart enough now. I don't click on them, you know, because you can easily see the from. That's usually who I'll click on it to be like, who is this, you know? But like I said, they are getting pretty tricky. So people really need to be aware. And I think everybody is so, we are so quick to be like, oh, I can take a quick survey. You know, I, I want a gift card. I can do that. Just please be aware. And if anything, just delete the email. If it sounds too good, just delete it before you click on anything. Because as soon as you click on it, you're just, you're susceptible to whatever they're trying to do. And they're getting more sophisticated too. They are. Like we, we had an instance here, I think when I first started working, where it looked like the email was coming from the person's manager. Right. Requesting to go to the store and get a gift card. Yeah. Wait, how did they do that? <laughs> Getting in there. Yeah, that makes no sense. So number five on social engineering attacks is the honey trap. Oh, this is interesting. The perpetrator pretends to be romantically or sexually <laughs> interested in the victim and lures them into an online relationship. Oh, sounds like the dating map world. <laughs> pretty close that's what they're doing on there the attacker then persuades the victim to reveal confidential information or pay them large sums of money sounds like a movie yes it's a good movie yes number six is pretexting and I, I think this one is also pretty common so this is a fairly sophisticated type of social engineering attack in which a scammer creates a pretext or fabricated scenario as i they even list here pretending to be an irs auditor <laughs> sounds familiar very common to con someone into providing sensitive personal or financial information, such as their social security number, right? And that was probably the end game on that call that I had too. Absolutely. They said they suspended my social security number, but they were probably going to ask me to verify what it was. Yeah. yeah. They must just assume we answer to anybody that says they're the IRS and we immediately are like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do what you need, you know? Exactly. It's not like that. And in this type of attack, which is pretexting, someone can also physically acquire access to your data by pretending to be a vendor delivery driver or contractor to gain your staff's trust. I, I, th I think we see a lot of this on YouTube. There's these, uh, it's almost like a genre of YouTubers who are scamming the scammer, right? right? You see these call centers in other countries where they they have these 40 hour a week jobs where their, their job is basically just to scam people by, they call them up and say, Oh, your account was hacked. 
but I'm going to save you, Sarah. Yeah. I've got the answer. You're my saving grace. All you need to do is just log into your account and send some information and then right. send me your money and then I'll take care of it all. Yeah. Especially where they say they're pretending to like be your delivery driver. I know like I have tons of packages shipped, you know, even I think it was Ikea. I was trying to deal with them and they use a third party delivery. So it's like you're just so used to dealing with so many outsiders, I think, that were more trusting. But I, yeah, anytime somebody immediately wants personal information over the phone, like your social security number, I don't even, not even my doctor will ask me for that over the phone. So you should just please be smart and just do not give that information out over the phone. There's just no reason, especially a delivery driver. Like they should already have that information if you properly provided it at checkout or something. You know, it's like you have that information. You shouldn't be asking me for it. And the irony, too, of how they start these out by saying, your account was hacked. Right. Like it's like, it, like yeah, it's by about, you. It's, <laughs> a, it's about to be hacked. I'm about, yeah, you're, it's about to be you. <laughs> Number seven on the list is SMS phishing. So SMS phishing is becoming a much larger problem as more organizations embrace texting as a primary method of communication. In one method they outline, scammers send text messages that spoof multi-factor authentication requests and redirect victims to malicious web pages that collect their credentials or install malware on their phones. Ooh. This one is pretty like I, this one I probably get just as much as email. Um, I got one just this week because I had a, a debit card issue going on, but I got a random text from a bank I don't even bank with telling me, you know, like, oh, something's happened to your credit card. And I'm like, well, I don't even bank with you. So I didn't even click on it. But I've also had them come from Amazon where I get a text saying, hey, this is Amazon. You need to reset your password or something, you know, and I'm just like it. They some of them actually do look legit. And a long time ago, I remember I actually clicked on one that said it was from Amazon because I was a little bit worried. I was like, oh, like, let me get in there and see what's going on. And it redirected me to a website. It looked like Amazon and it wasn't. But it was just like they are so tricky these SMS ones are tough because I think we use them so much more often now. You know, everything is, oh, we sent a text to your phone, get the code. Or I think we're just so used to getting messages from companies now that are like, oh, you've opted into texting. You've opted in. You know, you, you don't realize when you're even checking out buying clothing online or something. Hey, would you like to opt into our text services? We're just so used to, I think, getting texts from services. You trust it a little bit more. But I think just being aware of like, hey, if I wasn't really expecting to get something from a bank or from Amazon, you should probably be wary of it. And I would imagine it's it's kind of a numbers game too, right? It's about volume. Even if 1% fell for the trick, mm -hmm. who knows how much money that yeah. equates to. Number eight on the list of social engineering attacks is scareware. Ooh. This is a form of social engineering in which a scammer inserts malicious code into a web page that causes pop-up windows with flashing colors and alarming sounds to appear. I think I've seen this one before, too. <laughs> These pop-up windows will falsely alert you to a virus that's been installed on your system. You'll be told to purchase and download their security software, and the scammers will either steal your credit card information, install real viruses on your system, or most likely both. I don't know if I'm just like naturally... I have good intuition, but I feel like if it's like, okay, if I got this alert, I would be probably kind of concerned. Um, but for it to say, download our security software and we'll help you out. Like, I don't know, like, I really hope people aren't clicking on that. Like be a little bit, I don't want to say smarter. That's rude. Just l listen to your gut a little bit. It must be a fun game for these uh, scammers. Right. Too. They're just like, let's see who we can get today. Like they're taking, they're, they're fishing, they're placing bets on, <laughs> you know, what's our conversion rate today? Right? Number nine is tailgating or piggybacking. Tailgating, 
Probably not the football not version. Not the fun one. Yeah. Also known as piggybacking is a social engineering tactic in which an attacker physically follows someone into a secure or restricted area. Sometimes a scammer will pretend they forgot their access card or they'll engage someone in an animated conversation on their way into the area. So their lack of authorized identification goes unnoticed. So this one's kind of scary because it's physical. You know, we're used to everything being online or on our phones. This one's physical. So that one's a little bit scary to yes. think about. I've, it's kind of like um, going through like a gated community and you see somebody sort of just sitting off to the side and you're like, do you belong in here? You're like, you're waiting for me to go through and then they follow you through. you got to be aware. That's That one's kind of nerve wracking because it's physical. Yeah. And finally, number 10 is the watering hole. In a watering hole attack, a hacker infects a legitimate website that the that their targets are known to visit. Then when their chosen victims log into the site, the hacker either captures their credentials and uses them to breach the target's network or they install a backdoor Trojan to access the network. That sounds like a lot of work. That's a lot. That's a lot of work. So that is 10. I'm sure there are probably more, but these are probably your most common. The most common for sure. So Sarah, now that we've gone through the 10 types of social engineering attacks, now let's give people some ideas on how do they protect themselves. Right. So there are ways for a company's security team to help its employees implement strategies for mitigating social engineering attacks. But individuals should also learn these on their own time, as well as since, you know, we're the ones receiving the scam texts and scam emails all the time. So here are some ways for individuals to keep an eye out for those security attacks by cyber criminals. So I've got I've got 10 here. I think we like the number 10 today. So think before you click attackers employ a sense of urgency to make you act first and think later in a phishing attack. So when you get a highly urgent, high pressure message, be sure to take a moment to check if the source is credible first. Number two, research the sources and be suspicious. Always be careful of any unsolicited messages. Determine whether an email has been spoofed by hovering over the sender's name to make sure it matches the email address and checking the email address for spelling errors and other common giveaways. Usually a typo or spelling error is a dead giveaway in an email. Number three, don't download files you don't know. If, you know, A, you don't know the sender. B, don't expect anything from the sender. And C, you don't know if you should view the file they just sent you with urgent on the email headline. It's safe not to open the message at all. The next one is, we've sort of already touched on it, hover. Hover hover over links in emails to make sure the website URL is valid. So you can hover over different things before you even click on it, and it will let you know what that URL is. So check that out. So the next one is verify. Verify someone's identity through an alternate contact method. If you, you know, if you're in person, you can call them right away. You know, if they gave you a number, you can call them. Just do this before providing any sensitive information. The next one is delete any request for personal information or passwords. Nobody should be contacting you for your personal information via email unsolicited. If you get asked for it, it's more than likely a scam. So just please don't provide it. The next one is reject requests for help or offers of help. So social engineers can can and will either request your help with information or offer to help you, like posing as tech support. If you did not request any assistance from the sender, consider any requests or offers a scam. The next one is set your spam filters to high where applicable. That one's just pretty self-explanatory. Go into your email, see if this feature is available. Usually, you know, you can set them as high as you want. Some of them get pretty touchy. So you can go in and check that folder, see if anything slipped in there that shouldn't be in there. Um, number nine, 
Secure your devices by installing, maintaining, and updating your antivirus software, firewalls, and email filters regularly. Set your automatic updates on if you can and only access secured websites. You can also consider a VPN in those senses. Um, And the last one is look out for cybersecurity news to take swift actions if you are affected by a recent breach. So just sort of, you know, being aware of, you know, did T-Mobile get hacked again? Did Verizon, you know, just be aware um, so that you can check your own accounts. So companies should have periodic training for staff and engage with simulated phishing tests to gauge how many people fall for the social engineering tactics and retrain those people as needed. I know we get those in the office all the time. They're great. They're, yeah, I think testing is a good idea. They are. Testing is great. And you can they kind of give you tips on like, OK, there was a lot of spelling errors here. They were pretty generic about who this was for. You know, so um, I like the the testing tactic there. So and staff should also have a, pro- a process and feel comfortable reporting if they believe they've fallen victim to a social engineering attack. This sort of goes to that Reddit article we talked about. I hope this company doesn't really, you know, when millions of dollars are involved, it's really hard to not want to fire somebody. But I feel like if you fire somebody for reporting it, you're sort of showing everybody else, well, I'm kind of scared to report this now because I don't want to lose my job. So sort of having that open communication and um, don't be scared to report if you feel like something has happened. Yeah, and companies really should also employ and implement security protocols and tools just to prevent these organizational attacks. And I do think, especially with social engineering attacks, it's really about culture. It's a mindset. And this, I think, applies both to individuals as well as to corporations. I think this is a good time to take a break for this message from our sponsor. The global average cost of a data breach is nearly $4.5 million, but that's viewing it from a liability perspective. Today, privacy is a value proposition for software providers. When you develop a reputation for protecting customers' personal information, you don't just acquire new customers, you make them loyal. And Pseudo Platform is the world's premier cloud platform for providing developers with a menu of enterprise-ready SDKs and APIs that make integrating privacy solutions into your software so easy. Built for developers by developers. From identity wallets and password managers to virtual cards and secure encrypted communications, Pseudo Platform has you covered. Go to market quickly with a privacy platform that is scalable, flexible, and secure. To learn more, visit pseudoplatform.com. That's pseudoplatform.com. Okay, Sarah, I guess kind of wrapping this up, bringing us home to the finish line, it really comes down to, with respect to social engineering attacks, it's it's a mindset. It's a cultural thing, right? Because if the human is the weakest link in this particular attack... It's not much you can do if you've got all of these security tools and protocols and, and measures in place. If you've got somebody who slips up just one time, it's game over. That's all it takes. So, yeah, it's all about security culture for the individual. It's just keeping a general awareness about uh, your environment and just, you know, having some street smarts. Um, you know, an, organiza- an organization's best defense against social engineering threats is just making sure that You've got people who are well-trained and understand that the threats are never ending. They're all the time. And there's a quote from Josh. I hope I'm saying this, his name right. Yavor. He's a CISO or chief information security officer at Tessian. Tessian. I don't, I'm botching all these names here, but the point is he says, not all MFA or multi-factor authentication factors are created equal. Factors such as push, one-time passcodes, OTPs, 
and voice calls are more vulnerable and are easier to bypass via social engineering. Now, this is coming from a CISO. Um, instead of relying on these, Yavor recommends implementing security key technology based on modern MFA protocols like FID02. I don't know if that's FIDO2 that have phishing resilience built into their designs. These can then be augmented with secure access controls to enforce device-based requirements before providing users access to online resources. But again, there's, there's obviously a corporate angle here, but there's an individual angle too. Both are susceptible because it's just that one person who's the weak link. Absolutely. There's, yeah. like you said, there's the individual where we need to learn and we need to be aware because we're hit every day with texts and emails. But then there's also like, if you're working, you need to be aware how those are happening in the workplace as well. Yep. It's up to us. A little, little personal responsibility there. Always. Well, I think we covered a pretty good amount of information. This was yeah. thicker than I thought it was going to be. It is. And I think just sort of my my last two cents. I think what's frustrating to me reading these, some of these social engineering tactics, they just seem so obvious. And I think that's what gets frustrating. Is I'm like, how did you fall for that? You know, they just seem so obvious. So have a general awareness that when you communicate with outsiders, you know, just be smart, be on your toes, listen to your gut. You know, it's sort of like we were just talking. We learned as kids, stranger danger, you know, don't get into the car with strangers. It's the same thing. Just listen to your gut, have some street smarts. Well said. <laughs> yes. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. In our next episode, Sarah and I will be discussing all things TikTok. That's right. TikTok. We'll be reviewing a hard hitting documentary on this controversial social media platform and telling the real story behind TikTok's sudden rise, including a deeper look into ByteDance, TikTok's parent company. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.